thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Sits and civs, captains and commanders, you're tuned to the guard frequency. And as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 174 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast Ever, and was recorded on Friday, June 30th, and made available for download Tuesday, July 4th, a.k.a. Brexit1776, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Tony. I'm Jeff. And I'm Ostron. And in the audio booth, doing his best impression of Tina Fey, is Henry. So, what do we have this week, Osteron? In this week's Squawk Box, we check out SpaceX's latest ship sale. Next, we see what news from your favorite Space Sims has landed as we cover... Well, we've got some more info about the Knox from CIG, but the big news is that they did something with money and Arpwin put out a statement. Buckle up, kids. Tony has things to say. And we find out why it's been a busy week for trigonometry nerds and tinfoil-helmeted alien watchers in Elite Dangerous. Finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. And that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Quick and normal. Crypto, 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 this is Jeff saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. As much as I pine for the days when there was a fully funded government agency handling space exploration that could afford to build and launch its own payloads, those rockets have burned out, at least for the time being. As most people are aware, NASA relies on private corporations and even other governments to launch most of its materials into space. Up until recently, the cost of those launches were obscured in larger budgets, but a 2016 law means that the government now has to release the figures. Earlier in June, they did. The report gives more evidence to the idea that Elon Musk may know what he's doing despite some setbacks his companies have had. The two primary companies they are looking at for space launches were Musk's SpaceX and the United Launch Alliance or the ULA, a Boeing and Lockheed Martin joint effort. If NASA has SpaceX do all of its launches in 2018 and 2019, it'll cost 83 and 93 million dollars per launch in those years, respectively. That's pretty steep, but if you look over all of the ULA pricing, it's basically free. For those same years, the ULA is quoting 202 and 216 million per launch, or nearly three times SpaceX pricing. Now, it's true that SpaceX doesn't have the best track record with getting payloads off the ground, but most people would think that almost 60% discount on new technology is worth considering. Wow. What a difference. Wow, wow, indeed. But but think about when NASA was doing its own shuttle missions and its own Apollo missions. I heard that these figures per launch were almost three times what, what even the ULA was quoting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but technology gets cheaper, plus privatization is going to drive it cheaper, too. I would think so. You know, this would be expected, but the disparity between those two pricing, that's amazing. When you say yeah. uh, SpaceX is having not a great track record, is that really true? I mean, how many have they have they lost? They had some trouble getting things developed, but they've been doing fine lately, right? Am I missing something? I think they've lost three rockets, not including the test uh, booster uh, recovery boosters. Um, yeah, 
So the one that blew up on the pad uh, that knocked down, uh, that had a Telstar t- satellite or some communication mm-hmm. satellite. I remember that one. Uh, well, there were a couple others. Yeah, yeah. I, but even so, they're, it's a, they're a new company and a fledgling participant. But well, one of the things Elon Musk said was that basically the satellite's free. I mean, if, if you look at the difference between the price of a ULA launch and a SpaceX launch, the satellite's free. That's I mean, true. So, yeah. so insure it. And maybe if we if we have a mishap, you have to collect the insurance money on it. But that still might come in cheaper. You know, a second Plus, shot. I, I was also thinking that if like if it's a development issue or a materials issue, like you can kick SpaceX another 10 or 20 million dollars to do extra developments on their technology. And it's still half the cost of going with the ULA. Well, and not only that, but but NASA's had their own mishaps in their illustrious career, and we continue to go forward. So it's not like this is unexpected. I think in Boeing and Lockheed's case is that they're used to being government contractors, and they're used to charging government extraordinary amounts of money to be a contractor. I think the main difference might be one of attitude now. It's like at less than $100 million per launch, people are going to be okay with losing a rocket now and then. Because it's not that expensive anymore. But I think ULA and Boeing might still be coming from the old-fashioned way, like, don't mess up a single thing. And they do still occasionally mess up, just at a, at a fairly low rate. But people are looking at it as more of a cost-benefit exercise now, especially with unmanned launches. It's like, we can afford to throw away a couple of satellites if you're going to bring us in at that low of a price point. We can afford to lose some every once in a while. It's not that big a deal. Those satellites hopefully will be getting cheaper, too, as privatization continues. Exactly. You know, so eventually we'll have a launch going every day. And Oh, yeah, great. Let's throw some more junk up in our <laughs> orbit. Pretty soon we won't be able to launch unless we have a, a satellite window. That's a problem That's to the solve. Next, That's, a problem that's to the solve. next new thing, the next great thing, space nets. Not SpaceX, space nets. We'll just put nets up and we'll just catch all that stuff. Tony solves all the world's problems. I was saying earlier you should have been president. It's I don't right know what here. happened. It's all right here, man. <laughs> it's all right here in this noggin right here. Red seen or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the plate deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checkers green, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. In what is now standard practice for CIG, they released a Q&A for the Knox, addressing what are theoretically the most common questions from backers about the new concept ship. Of course, given that approximately 30% of CIG backers want to turn every ship they own into a pocket carrier, the first question is, what ships can the Knox fit into? According to CIG, a freelancer, Connie, and the redesigned Cutlass will easily be able to accommodate Knoxes. Based on the sizes, a Knox would theoretically fit in the cargo bay of a Reliant or even an Avenger, but they doubt it would fare well in transport. Many of the questions about performance boiled down to the Knox can and can't do all the same things as a Dragonfly. The exception was the so-called off-road terrain. Apparently, the Dragonfly is better able to handle the unusual and uneven terrain. That said, the Knox comes with the so-called competition class components installed, so its performance by the numbers will be better than the Dragonfly. In regards to wearing armor while flying, since your character is exposed, that is something that CIG is apparently still figuring out across the board. What armor you will or won't be able to wear is to be determined for all ships. Finally, do not completely drain the power of the Nox, or it will, quote, fall over and be sad, unquote. And now, for the rest of Flight Deck, we're going to turn it over to Tony. 
All right, boys and girls, it's time for another Law Things and Legal Stuff class here at the Guard Frequency Learning Annex. My Ortwin Friermuth says words alarm went off last week, prompting me to plumb the very bowels of the internet in search of truth, justice, and the middle ground between nothing to see here and oh my god, we're all gonna die. Of course, I'm talking about the loan of Doom taken out by Foundry 42 Limited, a wholly owned subsidiary of Cloud Imperium Games UK Limited. Now hang on to that fact, there will be a quiz later. The Twitters, and later a number of gaming media outlets, all published accounts that boiled down to three essential facts. One, CIG UK took out a payday loan advance against its UK game production tax credit. Two, buried in the fine print, CIG UK pledged all assets of the company, not just the tax credit, as collateral for the loan. And three, update, Ortwin said it was okay, so that's the end of that. Long-time listeners of the show will recall that we've covered the UK tax credit in the past. This is money CIG can claim so long as they are producing a culturally British video game. Long-time listeners will also recall that I have been, on occasion, let's say, somewhat skeptical of things Mr. Fryermuth writes on paper, or on the internet, or says out loud, or whispers, you, you, you get it. So when I read this, I decided to perform my own analysis to share with the community. Now, let's review a few things. Uh, yes, I am a lawyer. I am not your lawyer. I don't represent any players, companies, trusts, associations, guilds, trade unions, or publishers in any capacity connected with the gaming industry. I have zero dogs in this fight, aside from my contributions to funding CIG, which the last one was about two years ago. I haven't asked for a refund, and I don't plan to. This is as cold and objective of an analysis as I can provide for public consumption and is my opinion solely for education and entertainment purposes only. We all clear on that? Good. Here it goes. Let's start with the things that make this loan legit. First, the bank. Coots & Company, the bank that made this loan, is a unique institution. It is literally the Queen's Bank. Now, it's unlikely you'll run into her, her royal magicaliestness at the teller window evaluating the crispness of the 10 quid notes for her grandchildren's birthday cards, uh, but just having her as a customer gives you some serious juice in the banking world. And uh, as we are the best damn space sim podcast ever, it should come as no surprise that we have a former employee of this bank on staff here at Guard Frequency. Mr. Lennon Rich was, once upon a time, a financial advisor with Coots. And according to Mr. Rich, As a personal customer, you needed a net worth of at least £1.5 million. And as a business, it had to be a net worth of at least £1 million, and that's for them to even consider you. So many of the people who applied, even after meeting the criteria, get turned away. Further, Coots is more than a bank, it's an exclusive club. One of the unspoken benefits is that if you joined, then you'd have access to all of the other people in the network. Are you a media company and want a director for your film? Casually mention it to your advisor who will kindly put you in touch with a high-rolling director. Also in the good news category, Coots specifically targets companies like CIG UK for business. From their website, and I quote, Coots Commercial Media Banking Team provides media clients with a full suite of flexible banking and international services, from specialist advances in loan financing through to overdrafts, expert currency management, and transactional services. Coots products and services are tailored for our clients' specific commercial needs and delivered by knowledgeable experts who care. 
Coots Media Banking Team is perfectly positioned to support clients' own growth within this exciting sector, with working capital and loan finance against acceptable collateral, which ranges from receivables to advances, contracted future cash flows, and intellectual property. End quote. Which is exactly what's described in the two filings, one done by Foundry42, one by CIG UK. Why both? Well, according to other recent filings, Foundry 42 bills CIG UK for its work in creating Squadron 42, and CIG UK pays the invoices. Also, Foundry 42 doesn't own any game-related assets. It basically works for hire on behalf of CIG UK. So, CIG UK had to agree to pledge the game asset collateral, essentially guaranteeing the loan, which is standard stuff. Next up, let's talk loan terms. From what I can tell, CIG UK is getting what would equate to prime plus two in the US. Basically, that type of deal takes the lowest cost of funds rate available to the bank, adds a margin of 2% to it. That's not bad. Next, the collateral. Yes, CIG UK did in fact pledge all of its non-United States right title and interest in the game as collateral for the loan. And in strictly legal terms, actually transferred title to those assets to the bank. Now, we have to unpack that a little bit. The collateral document, apparently called a charge by our British cousins, limits the reach of the collateral transfer in three ways. Number one, like I said, it excludes the United States. Number two, specifically it excludes Star Citizen from the transfer. Number three, CIG UK still maintains control over the collateral and will operate it for the benefit of the bank. This is actually really common in the US in terms of like mortgages for farmland. The bank on paper is entitled to all the rents and royalties received, but in practice, it can't be bothered with all that. So the farmer just takes the money, makes the payments, everybody's happy. But here's the thing. You knew that was coming, right? Didn't you? If you've been following the development of Star Citizen at all, you know how intertwined Star Citizen is with Squadron 42. Does the bank? Do they know exactly what they got as collateral when they took the non-US rights, presumably Squadron 42, and left the US rights, presumably Star Citizen, free and clear? Based on what we know about Coots, I think we have to assume they do. The one thing that is not defined in either of the 29-page collateral agreements is the definition of the game. But buried in the fine print is the fact that it is defined in the loan agreement, which is not public. So we don't know what those two companies agreed to would be the definition of the game. And here's the other thing in the loan agreement that's not public. The loan amount. And this is the key bit. Everybody's teeing off Ortwin's statement about it being a cash management move by CIG US, not CIG UK, to avoid currency conversion exposure and monetizing the tax credit. This overlooks three things. Number one, if you're big enough to do business with Coots, currency conversion should be easy and cheap. It is specifically one of the things that they advertise on their website that I read in a stupid English accent. Number two, the reason it takes so long to get the tax credit from Her Majesty's Revenue is because the amount of the rebate depends on your prior year's losses, which should, of course, be unknowable until the end of the year. And number three, the prior amounts of credits claimed by CIG UK between 3 and 4 million guineas in 2015 and 2016 might not be a big enough loan for Coots to even mess with. According to Mr. Rich, Coots may have demanded a larger principal amount to even mess with the loan and therefore more collateral to secure it. Now, normally, a larger principal amount means more risk, but the low interest rate tells us the bank is not worried about default. Well, how can they be so sure? Well, two ways. Number one, CIG UK already does business with Coots' parent company, NatWest, so presumably they know where all the money goes. 
Number two, the relationship between CIG UK and Foundry 42 guarantees precisely how much money Foundry 42 will lose every year, down to the tuppence if necessary. And here's my problem. CIG UK is essentially a shell company whose sole purpose is to make sure Foundry 42 loses just enough money every year to squeeze the maximum possible rebate out of the UK tax authority. The trade-off for the tax rebate is the, quote, surrenderable loss. Normally, when a company loses money, they can carry some or all of that loss forward and apply it against future year's taxes when they eventually make some money. That's the upside for the government. The developer immediately starts paying taxes when their game is released and starts turning a profit rather than pushing that apple cart down the road. Unless, of course, as Ortwin states, most of their revenue is in the U.S. and the E.U., and Foundry 42 only gets paid when CIG wants to pay it. CIG UK sold Coots on a can't-lose proposition. Its main feature is the type of creative accounting which Ortwin has become famous or infamous for. It has crashed and burned in the past. Maybe this time will be different. Maybe. At least, that's how I see it. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I did follow quite a bit of that, but uh, the bottom line is, does this mean that uh, Star Citizen is in danger if if they don't start making money and that they would be lost to the bank or that Squadron 42 specifically would and if that happened it doesn't matter because Star Citizen is safe in the US? Like Tony said it depends on that bit of agreement that we don't know which is how did they define the game that became the collateral for the loan if they just stuck to Squadron 42 and CIG defaults on the loan then theoretically the bank could grab all the IP and everything associated with Squadron 42 but Star Citizen remains untouched but if there's no way legally to separate development of one from the other then they could theoretically grab the whole thing but then again there's the other side of it which is how much would that actually be worth for the bank to go after. Right, they need someone to finish it and make it profitable before it has any value. What it comes down to is we don't know how much the loan was for. Coots isn't going to mess with a fiddling small amount of money. Right. Five million pounds might not have been enough. So maybe they need, maybe CIG needed to borrow a minimum of ten. So they're like, well, what else you got? I mean, your tax credit might be worth three or four million pounds. That's great, but what else you got? Well, everything. Well, okay. Because here's one thing that, that Star Citizen CIG does have that's does have intrinsic value beyond the game assets, which is just, I you know, it's JPEGs, right? They have a database full of customers who spend ridiculous amounts of money on video games. They have your name and your address and your spending history and your click counts on the website and when you buy and when you sell. I mean, they have kind of a treasure trove on a group of middle-aged guys who spend too much money on a, on a game that's not made yet. That's an interesting point, but I had heard that uh, like your data on Google and the reason that you have to see so many ads on Google is because Google has to pay for the services they provide you. But if we wanted to pay for that individually, it would only be something like $12 a year per individual. And, and I think that says something about the value of the, the people's information that are uh, subscribing to or contributing to CIG right now. Doesn't that mean that that wouldn't really total up enough to really make that the valuable asset? It, it's arguable, but it's the sort of thing where you can sell to people as like, this is the demographic that I have, and this is the type of customer that I, that is in here. 
and if you yeah. want it, you can rent it from me for three hundred grand. Yeah, and then you can rent it several times to several different bunches of people. So it's not like you just turn it over; you don't sell it again. You just rent it out. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a little so, more sense. So I mean, it's that's if I were a sleazy banker, that's that's how I would have looked at this deal. It would have been this is my chance. And, and again. We don't know what the loan amount was, and we don't know what the payment terms, but it sounds like it's like an annuity, like a balloon payment sort of thing, like a reverse mortgage. Like, they're going to pay out money over the year in small amounts, and then when they eventually get the money back from the government, they use that to pay it off, plus whatever extra they had to to do as well. There'll be a balloon payment at the end of of probably a year's term. But this is all speculation we don't know, and that's part of the problem, is that if they are doing a lot of international finance type stuff just to do day-to-day transactions. That is weird. That's just weird. I mean, it's especially with the way they've got it structured where CIG pays Foundry 42's bills, but they don't pay enough to cover the bills, generating a loss, which means they can generate the tax credit. And CIG UK doesn't actually make a lot of money. It only transfers money in from the EU and the US, which is where most of the revenue for this whole worldwide conglomeration comes from. This is the sort of thing that got Ortwin burned a, year, a few years ago with Ascendant Pictures, and it's the sort of thing that hangs around in the background of a couple other busted deals you can read about, where it's all shady and whatnot. I mean, none of it's really none of it's really well documented, let's put it that way. We know Kevin Costner sued Ascendant Pictures and got eight million bucks out of him. We know that. that that's like a, it's a thing I've read on the internets. So as much as that can be trusted, but it's this kind of high finance stuff. It's it seems a little complex for the amount of money involved. It doesn't seem to make sense for a company that is a, a company that is being paid by a parent company for the work that they do to not be making enough from being paid by their own parent company to cover their own bills. Why do they need to borrow money, and and how does it make sense for them to pay finance charges on borrowed money instead of saying? hey, parent company, we need an extra whatever to finish this project. It just makes no sense to me. Yeah, but that's that's where that's where you start moving into areas of finance that don't make sense on the face of it. It's It gets into, like, foreign investments and balancing out tax credits versus tax burdens. And it's, it's one of those things where emotions and common sense no longer apply because... The math works, but in order to make the math work, you have to run it through so many different equations that most people, unless they're financial experts, get totally lost in the numbers. It's like the quantum mechanics of banking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, money passes from two hands and becomes two piles of money because in, during the transaction time of two or three days, there's money sitting in both accounts for, I mean, stu- stupid stuff like that is able to like take place. Part of the problem is that this tax credit they're taking advantage of was, well, let's say, funnily enough, easily gameable because <laughs> the theory behind it is it, you turn in all these surrenderable, surrenderable losses during the development period, right? So, like, say your game development period is five years. So, you instead of racking up five years' worth of losses, which then you can carry forward to some certain extent depending on your local laws – you can carry some of those losses forward. And then in the fifth year, you actually start selling the game and you make a big pile of money. And then the tax man comes on and goes, woohoo, give me all the money. And you're like, sorry, I've got five years of backlogged losses and reduced whatever appropriate amount. I'm going to offset my income and you don't get as much tax, dude. And he's like, oh, 
this credit is supposed to be like you wipe those losses out, and in return, we give you some money now. We give you a little bit of money now, 20% or so of, of it, the math. Again, crazy math stuff. But we give you a little bit of money, give it to you, straight out cash, during those five years of development. And then when you start selling, your whole tax due, your whole tax bill comes due. This setup, the tax bill will never come due. Foundry 42 will always lose money the way that they have it set up. Foundry 42 will never register a dime of game income because everybody's paying CIG US and CIG a little bit UK. So the way they have this set up is it is just it's it's a tax vehicle. In my view, this is a tax vehicle and it kind of games the system in ways that I don't know that the British tax authorities had fully thought through. So it could be doom and gloom could not, right? Could be fine. Just like everything else, if CIG makes the payment and a year goes by and doesn't miss anything, this is all just you know fire and smoke. This is all, there's nothing here. There's just smoke and mirrors here. It's just typical international finance crap. And if nobody cares, nobody cares. Um, if they if they miss a payment or screw it up somehow, the whole house could come down. But a company like Coots, they are only gonna bet on sure things, and they must be pretty darn sure this is gonna work out before they did this deal. Well, that sounds positive. It, it just means that this isn't a shady back alley deal that's going to fall apart as soon as anyone looks close. It is yes, shady, but, but it's like so-called legitimately shady. Yes. <laughs> it's not like they took a loan from a bank that itself doesn't really exist because it's in debt to like foreign investors right. who are eventually funded by terrorists. It's like, no, this is the Queen's Bank. Yes. And it's like they don't need to do speculative investments on risky no. ventures. They've been around since before the U.S. was a thing. So that at least is some level of security. Whether CIG itself can pull off the shell game they're trying is an entirely different discussion, which we probably should stop <laughs> having. <laughs> okay, it, that, there's, it, there's, as long as there's no squeaky wheel, there will be no grease. Uh, you know, it's, it's, if everything just goes smooth, it'll be just fine because probably nobody will care. Our Star Citizen community question this week is, what's your take on the loan? Is it a non-issue or a worrying sign? Or have you just come to expect this from CIG for better or worse? Lay your opinions out for us through our usual channels. Contact details will follow. By the time you listen to this next segment, it will already be outdated. Discoveries of wrecked Thargoid motherships are coming thick and fast in the virtual Pleiades sector in Elite Dangerous. A few weeks ago, we highlighted a Reddit comment made by community manager Ed Lewis that strongly implied that we would see some Thargoid content prior to the 2.4 patch, expected sometime in the next few months. We speculated that the low content patch notes for the 2.3.1 patch made it pretty likely we'd see some alien flower power hit the server at the same time. Man, are we tired of being right. It didn't take long after the server came back online on Monday for commanders to report spotting multiple large alien wrecks accessible by SRV. And it wasn't long after that when one of those wrecks was reported as still active. And it wasn't long after that when clever commanders figured out how to combine unknown artifacts and unknown probes with these active wrecks to unlock the next round of secrets from our new insect overlords. Turns out that you can't swing a dead space cat around the Pleiades sector without hitting a buried Thargoid mothership. 
As of the time of this recording, 30 sites have been discovered, with 22 of them active. And if you have the chance to visit one of them, you really should. Automated scavenger drones appear and disappear out of the ground, apparently repairing the downed ships. Flower ships appear and scan your SRV if you leave the interior of the mothership carrying one of the many new items dropped with this patch, the Unknown Link. Combining the Unknown Link with an artifact and a probe inside the mothership triggers a map of what our research badgers believe is the two main spiral arms of the Milky Way. The size, scale, and detail of the wreckage sites is breathtaking. As usual, Frontier didn't so much leave a trail of breadcrumbs to the wreckage sites as leave the recipe for bread encoded in an audio transmission using base 8 math, then scattering the ingredients over a million cubic light years of interstellar space and hiding the oven inside the ancient ruins of an H.R. Geiger-inspired hellscape. Suffice it to say, it took some technical prowess, a solid grasp of complex 3D trigonometry, and a great deal of trial and error to come up with the solution to the puzzle. The link to the front page of the Canon Group forum thread will be in the show notes, and if you want to follow in the footsteps of these intrepid investigators, all shall be revealed. Just be sure to read carefully. For those who don't want to know, you best skip ahead, partner, because we're all about getting spoilery here. So you've been warned. According to Drew Wagar's official Frontier published book entitled Premonition, which is available for sale on their website, things are just getting started. Again, spoiler alert, fast forward to the news we didn't use if you don't want to know. All right, it turns out that it was just a matter of time before the Thargoids showed up again. Humanity is caught in the middle of a galactic civil war. Actually, we're slightly off to the side, right in the middle of a convenient path of retreat for the losing faction, the Orezrians. The other faction, the Claxians, are giving chase. And the bubble, the core worlds of humanity? Well, think of us as piles of fruit, or folding chairs, or shopping baskets in a Jackie Chan movie. We're terrain to hide behind, or objects to throw at the pursuers. Which explains why they haven't been overtly hostile, except to the feds, just yet. There's no need to knock over the produce section until the ninja gang gets to the grocery store. All right, first, I I actually hadn't heard of the uh, Orisarians and the Claxians yet. I'm missing part of that story. I've been focused on the experiences yeah. uh, in Elite, going to the sites and checking that out. But I haven't had a chance to read it all because um, I've just gotten to the site and gotten to the, the galactic map to open up, which was really cool. I, I know, Tony, you said you've been out too, so that's... Yeah. That's interesting. You said you were having some trouble finding the components to solve the puzzles? Yeah, if, if, if you've been playing Elite or listening to us, you'll know that the unknown artifacts are kind of scattered out there sort of everywhere. Unknown probes are a little tougher to find. Um, and it seems like after this patch, they got a lot tougher to find. Uh, that may just be me, but it, a lot of people are complaining about it on the forums that they're tougher to, to grab a hold of. But if you take one of each of those, you go to the flower ship. Well, Henry, you, you, you describe it because you actually pulled it off. I haven't done it yet. Yeah, you, you take those and you go to the... Uh, I don't know that it's a downed flower ship. It may be a growth or something. No. I think it might be an evolved barnacle or well, something. Well, it kind of resembles on the exterior a flower ship, but it's it's probably 10 or 15 times bigger. And it's Yeah, they're massive. Yeah, and it's they're partially massive. obscured by... You can see them from orbit. Yeah, you can see them from yeah, orbit. But yeah, yeah you, they're, they're easy to find. You can see them from orbit. And when you go down there, um, you have to have the right uh, artifact in your hold, and you can get in to the interior of the ship inside the caves with uh, your SRV and once there, there are some holograms uh, that tell you what piece to place where and you plug these into the different uh, computers or whatever they are, these organic machines inside the uh, Thargoid base 
and it lights up this humongous map, which is just really beautiful. And it could just be two arms of our galaxy, like we said. It could be another one, who knows. But it's a really spectacular show right now. The other thing you can do is you can take the unknown artifact that comes from the Guardian Ruins oh, yeah. and place that in place of one of those, and it causes massive explosions. Yeah, mayhem. I haven't pulled that one off myself, but I've seen it uh, online. And really, really a, a crazy reaction. And this is the first time we've actually been overtly attacked by the Thargoids because those scavenger drones come right after your SRV as soon as you do that. Yeah. They get that Guardian technology in there, they get mad and they come right after you and you've got to actually take them out. Um, so now we're officially engaged in combat with the Thargoids uh, beyond them locking us up and shutting us down. Well, what's funny though is that it's they're not really mad at the humans, it's just that they're reacting to the Guardian technology. Right. So it's right. yeah. So it's not that they're so mad that there's uh, you, know, you just happen to be the one carrying the Guardian technology and putting it in their machine. That's what they get mad about. So it it it, it sort of feeds into the idea that the there is a, a connection between the Thargoids and the Guardians prior to any of the sort of invasion thing that's that's going on. Now you said about the lore, the or, or the Oresrian Claxian uh, thing goes back to the very first 1984 version of Elite with the novella that was in there uh, called the Dark Wheel and. Uh, Drew Wagar, the guy that did the Salome um, thing, he m- meshes those earlier um, elite, dangerous, quote, non-canon uh, stories that, uh, that that are out there with his Salome uh, saga in the new book, Premonition. And she has adventures and does things and blah, blah, blah. And at the end, all shall be revealed, which is why we said give the spoiler alert. And it turns out that humanity did, in fact, fight the Thargoids before. We did somehow stop them. Uh, it's not real clear. They didn't say real clearly how they actually did that in the book. Were we fighting one faction or both at that well, time? It, what again, they weren't real clear about that. But what we do know is that the reason that they're coming is because one side's running from the other side. And we're just conveniently able, we could, the plan for them apparently is to is to sacrifice us in their getaway. It could be a chance to make an ally with one of their factions, though. So, wait a minute. Are the Thargoids split yes. into two factions, or did the th- yep? Okay. There's two factions of Thargoids, and a couple of the characters in the book are things like <laughs> Thargoids. That's that's what the silly peasants call them. No, 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 no. It's the Oresrians and the Claxians, you see, because we're all very wise and smart, uh-huh. and we know what to call the right, the proper things. So it's the it's you know it's been the, the big dirty secret that was in the the Formidine Rift and all those other mysteries and things like that was that the humanity was trying to like find escape routes which I found very interesting because those escape routes might correlate with the spaces between the big spiral arms. That would be interesting. Yeah, so I mean, it's like you know, it's the Formidine Rift, which is the big empty space between spiral arms. Well, if literally those spaces aren't on the Thargoid map, that would be a great place for people to run to if things went poorly. Uh, so uh, I, I think that they're going to they're gonna be tying, they're going to spend the next hour long uh, certainly season 2.4 and uh, version 3, whenever that comes out. I'm sure they're going to be developing that, those, that that connection between the Formidine Rift and the Thargoids and uh, the Guardians and, and finding more about that. But after the pace of, after, after people complaining about the, the pace of reveals um, and the sort of, you know, uh, plotting way that fr- uh, Frontier's gone about this, oh my God, you can't even keep up anymore. 
Uh, it's ramped up for it has, sure. I mean, Absolutely, this is it's ridiculous. There's a we'll put we've got a map in the show notes that you can track where the active and inactive sites are, and it's just like they're just popping. They're just popping all over the place. It's uh, kind of, it's been really fun for me to watch the forum thread go through like 200 pages in the last week, uh, updating all the uh, all the uh, sites that they found. Also, it's a it's a great time socially in elite in open and in Mobius uh, PVE. Everybody is flocking to those sites, so there's tons of people to hang out with. There's a lot of people around, and they're all kind of interested in the same kind of thing, exploring in the aliens. It's a really good crowd out there right now, so it's a good time to be out there exploring and meeting new people, especially on Mobius PVE or in Guard Frequency's uh, own uh, private group. What's funny is when you say that, this is uh, we had uh, the mashup between the Salome thing and the Thargoid thing. It got me thinking, you know, supposedly we're going to have new weapons that damage the Thargoids. Like, you know, because our, our our kit doesn't really work against them. But that's the sort of thing uh, that in an uh, in Open or in Mobius or in any other kind of private group, if you came upon another commander and he's loaded up with these Thargoid weapons, he's not a threat to you. So this is a way that people can sort of join up with random people in Open and not worry about the, the butt fedoras of, 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 the, of the world coming after you, right? You can verify that they're, that they're somebody that's going to be friendly with that. I mean, we haven't really heard what the Thargoid weapons are going to be like. It may be something where it's just a mod. They've said Thargoid uh, weapons are coming, but it may end up just being a mod to existing weapons. I can't imagine you're going to have to choose between a gun to shoot a Thargoid or a human. I think you're going to, because they were showing off lots of new show art that look nothing like the weapons we currently have. The idea that they wouldn't be effective against another commander kind of bothers me. It bothers me that uh, that that you can't shoot a Thargoid and cause any damage. You know, I think that's silly. I, I think that uh, they're going to make us choose. And I think that one of the reasons they're going to make us choose is the gameplay reason of they want people in open. Probably these guys are going to need big crowds to take down one of these big motherships because they are huge. And they're going to need enough people together to effectively work against them. That means trust. You know what I think that would actually do, Tony, is not foster trust. I think what it would do is create a situation where people who are legitimately trying to go out and play are going out there and finding, I've got Thargoid weapons only, and now I'm still getting ganked and I'm completely defenseless. That could be a thing. I mean, I really just think they need to, to make the Thargoid weapons work on, on people too, I hope. The reality is, if that you're, if that one of these people are trying to gank you, you're defenseless anyway. I don't know. I mean, that's... That, get away for, mo- for most players... Yeah, for for most players, I mean, yeah, you can run. I mean, you, but you can always run. That's, I mean, if you're an effective pilot, you can yeah. usually, you know, you know uh, high wake or low wake out, depending on what you want to do. But as far as combat against another player, if somebody's wanting to gank you, they're probably loaded for bear anyway. I mean, I have engineered my cutter to be like super crazy, and even I would take a look at these guys and go, I am not interested in fighting you to the death, and I I, I bail. And so I think having mm. having a ship loaded out with just Thargoid weapons where you could come up and scan him, scan a guy, like that guy is not a threat to me. And so I will hang out next to him and I'll take some risks with that guy. I think that's that may be something that they're aiming for. We'll see. I can be wrong. I can be wrong. It's possible. It's possible. A lot of people lost interest with the Guardian Ruins because the puzzles were so complex. What they're doing here is still complex, but I think a lot more reasonable for people to figure out. And I think there's more to find than there was with the Guardians, so it's more fun. I also like the fact that you can uh, take those, I think it's the links or whatever comes out of the machine after you run the machine without putting a guardian artifact in it and blowing it up. You get this little piece that you can take and drop out in space and it points towards more ruins. That's why they're so easy to find. So you actually have a way to search now 
which I've been begging for in Elite since the beginning. Give us a way to search for this stuff. And now we're using this little alien device we found to say, hey, where are your buddies at? And they point a laser right at it. You line up with it, go to Super Cruise, and you're pointed right at the planet where the ruins are going to be. It's very cool stuff. I'm, I'm glad they did that. They're improving, but they still need to work on it a little bit. You do the guy, the person that originally cracked it had to use like advanced. It kind of went like the, I, I was. I've been following this, and here's how it went. I, I, I was working through the puzzle and following on the forums. Like, oh, I get it. Like this planet means this, and this planet means that, and these numbers mean this. And I'm like, awesome. All you have to do is calculate the right triangle and go through the things, and, like, and you wind up with two interlocking spheres that uh, you and two possible. And I kind of went, holy crap. I just said I can't. I can't math. Uh, you know this. Is it that? Is it that much more complex than the CIG loan situation? Honestly? Yes, it is because you don't need to have spherical <laughs> trigonometry in your pouch to, to figure out the CIG loan thing. It, That's it, calculus. Yeah, level it math is. It based yeah. on what I you're describing. I, it's like I knew enough math to know how to do it, but I have nowhere near enough math to actually perform the calculations. Some guys actually uh, yeah. uh, automated it now and interfaced it with one of the uh, third-party data sets that float around the outside of Elite Dangerous. This is We've made this point before. If Elite could bring all of this into the game somehow, that would be great. But <laughs> I think part of their game design is that they want people to struggle with this a little bit. And I think maybe once again, this one may, ha- may have bitten them in the ass because I think we're finding these things a lot faster than maybe they thought we would. It would not surprise me. That's you. good, though. It is good. I think that's making it a lot more fun for a lot more players. Yeah. Even if it's not as uh, realistic. Yeah. And the other thing is that this is repeatable, really. Because even if mm-hmm. even if all the other players have discovered it, it's still cool. Even though everybody's already done it and put it on YouTube, I still plan to go find one of those probes and drive my little SRV into one of these sites and light up the map for myself. Because it's cool to do and fun to yeah, experience. Yeah, it's very cool. So very cool. I, I think that might, it might help... This kind of content, which, especially after the trail has been blazed, you know, I'll be more than happy to follow that path. I, I just didn't have the path to, to, you know, blaze the path. Our Elite Dangerous community question, are you keeping up with the rapid pace of discovery, or is the paradigm shifting too much too fast? Tell us how you're feeling in all the usual ways, details coming after feedback. But now it's time for news we didn't use. Around the Verse this week had a larger segment on the details of programming for optimization of engine at VFX. Listeners who have said you enjoyed CIG's computer science report should definitely check this one out. The June subscriber town hall for CIG also released last week focused on character development. If there's anything you'd like to know about clothing, hair, or character appearance work the devs have been doing, go have a listen. Now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! Some say he's impressed with self-driving cars, but he worries it'll lead to country song where a guy's truck leaves him. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. A recap of last week's community questions... The first Star Citizen question, is offering a new, fairly cheap ship with LTI a dangerous loophole? Or are people still making too much of LTI and the idea that CCUs are exploitable? 
Our Star Citizen community question number two is, are you excited to see the Levisky finally making its in-game debut? And is the dev's attention to stellar detail something that you appreciate? And the Elite Dangerous question, did the punishment fit the crime for the naughty exploiters of cheaterosity? Are you going Thargoid cave hunting when the new patch drops? Lin O. Rebel wrote in and said, Systemic exploiting is why I only play in private groups. I quit competitive games like Counter-Strike and Quake because everyone cheats. Bree Serena writes in and says, I've been catching up on all of my podcasts since E3, and here's my feedback for the past few episodes. Item System 2.0 is something that really interests me as a coder because I've hardly created anything that is like that system. I know the basic concepts of OOP, object-oriented programming, but to see it implemented in such a way is very interesting. This also is the reason why I want more computer science topics covered in ATV. I think if CIG doesn't do these kinds of deep dives, it's a disservice to the community because not everyone understands how all this stuff works. I'm looking forward to the 600i, but I hope it's more luxury than combat. Bree Serena goes on to say, It goes without saying that I did get the Nox and Q during the pre-sale, and I cannot wait to fly ride them when it 3.0 comes out. As for LTI, if I had my way, I would give LTI to every ship above the starter ships, before beta that is. Because everyone, regardless of when you backed, has given money to this project, and they should have the security of LTI for their real money investment. I say investment because each dollar that goes to CIG is an investment in the development of the project. However, the only reason LTI is so coveted is because of the restriction it has, which in turn fuels the concept sales. These ships that are used for LTI tokens are a nice way of circumventing the system without CIG completely breaking their promise and making the more vocal backers angry. She finishes up by saying, I cannot wait until I step foot in Levski and fly around and explore Delamar. Delamar is the progenitor of the planetary tech with the hero landing zones. So in my mind, if they can get this planetoid in, they shouldn't have much trouble getting the other planets in Sans Microtech, since that one is a planet city. I'm also happy that they are paying attention to real science and only hand-waving the things that need to be hand-waved. It will make this game a little less arcadey. You did assume she there. We did. That's true. Pretty Serena. I, well, okay. You know anyway. what, if we're wrong, let us know in the feedback. Yeah, yeah. let us know. Say, say, yeah, I, <laughs> I make a lot of assumptions. I do. It's a thing I do. It's bad. I should just stop. Great feedback, though. A lot of, like, interesting points. But we're not even done. I know, yeah. Jonathan Hurley wrote in and said, As always, great show, guys. I don't personally care about LTI on my ships. Insurance isn't supposed to be a huge money sink in the first place. On top of that, if I bought a Nox, which I did, and used it for LTI on my Aquila, which I didn't, I would lose the Revel and York hangar for a Southland hangar. I would rather have the hangar over the LTI, to be honest. Also, I love to hear the new in-real-life space news. Keep it up. Sean Newboy writes in his, as always, great show, everyone. Error Detected writes, absolutely thrilled to finally see Levski coming. I'm secretly hoping over time they'll set up a little gambling den there, where players can join standing card games like you can in Red Dead. If planetary landings are a time sink, as they are an elite, then places like Levski might be well served to have some fun gameplay options under the roof. If it takes 20 to 30 minutes to get there from elsewhere in Stanton, as it did in the Miles Eckert demo, then local little social gameplay touches could help. Even without it, Levski and planetary landings writ large are going to be an exciting addition. As for Thargoid cave hunting, those blasted children of Raxia beat us to it. 
I'm still going to check it out in person. The Stellarium looks too jaw-dropping not to see in person. Yeah, that's what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. That even though it's all been done and it's all on YouTube, I'm still going to go find me an unknown probe and get in there. Yeah, it's worth yeah. it. It's worth it. It's I fun. I think so. Well, uh, and then going back to uh, the LTI thing, this is where I expect Jeff to, to jump in and, and wave his arms a little bit about the uh, the ancient promises made of, uh, from times gone by on the LTI thing. No, not really. I, You know, I look at LTI, I, I agree with Bree Serena's assessment there on the LTI. I think that everyone that's contributed to this uh, above the starter ships, there, there should be LTI. A lot of times you reevaluate things, of course, it must Sure. As you've been doing since time immemorial. Right. <clears throat> so, so uh, you know, I, I think they could just kill the whole controversy, come up with a system and just say, look, you guys, you've been our backers. We, we, we push dates out. So here's what we're going to do. Every ship above a starter ship is going to be. I mean, yeah, I mean, because that is going to make some people mad, though. I mean, I know what I you're saying. And you're right. You know, but it'll make mad. people mad. People are mad either way. Whether that's the true. LTI current uh, with the current system or no LTI or the CCU system, so people are, you know, they're just going to be people that are going to be upset. Whatever they, it just. But your feeling is it's the kind of thing they get over. It's something yeah. that's not a yeah. terrible thing for them to do. It's something they'll just complain over about. it. Yeah, I've gotten yeah. over it. I can see that. I can see that point of view. And, he, and he's immortal. I mean, he can hold grudges a long time. Yeah. So I think I agree with you. I mean, if, if LTI is not supposed to be a big deal. You know, it's supposed to be like a mission's worth of a credit sink, you know, kind of a, just a thing you do every so often, you know, and the policy is supposed to last for three or six months or whatever. Uh, it seems to me like that's kind of a, an easy an, an easy get uh, if you are a backer, you know, somebody who's you know, still pledging money to the project, even at this stage. It was kind of that way in Elite Dangerous, I think, if you were, if you pledged uh, in their Kickstarter Basically, you get a break on your insurance costs. The way it happens in Elite Dangerous is that you, if you crash and burn or get ganked or whatever, you pay 10% of your ship's value. Well, if you backed, it's actually only five. So that and that's something that you that just you stuck this is with you permanently. You don't have to do anything to, to take advantage of that perk. So I, I think it makes sense for pre-release to just give everybody LTI. And in general feedback, Nimrod writes in and says, Guys, here's a quick and dirty lesson in aircraft oxygen supplies. The oxygen system used in legacy military fighter aircraft use liquid oxygen. Liquid oxygen has the advantage of only requiring a small amount of liquid compared to the amount of gas that it provides, i.e., liquid oxygen expands from 1 liter to 800-plus liters of gaseous oxygen for the pilot to breathe. This oxygen needs to be replenished in a liquid form every so often. The OBOGS uses a molecular sieve that only allows oxygen molecules through and then concentrates them to a level that ensures there's enough oxygen supplied to the pilot, regardless of altitude and outside pressure. This is better in many ways, as you said. A big one is that there's no requirement to replenish the oxygen as you would in a legacy system. In both systems, gaseous oxygen bottles are used as backup just in case. Civilian aircraft don't have oxygen supplied to the cabin unless there's an emergency, the yellow masks that drop from the cabins above. The cabin is pressurized to maintain pressure at about an altitude of seven to 8,000 feet. This is enough to maintain oxygen concentration without any additional oxygen being supplied. The engines provide pressurized air for cabin pressurization. Well, there you go. Thanks, Nimrod. And Brickwall Goalie finishes off our feedback with, Regarding your News We Didn't Use note on PC Gamer's Flight Stick review, there's a nifty little program called Joystick Curves that does just what the name suggests. It allows you to adjust the sensitivity curves on any joystick that doesn't come with a built-in curve editor. 
While it won't turn the T-Flight X into a warthog, it will make precision flying much easier on a lower-end setup. Attached are links to the program and a YouTube of how to get it set up in E colon D, and we will include said links in our show notes. I appreciate that uh, detailed uh, description of the oxygen system. New patches have arrived. Anyone at the patch level expect them soon. As a random winner this week, we have a new Patreon! Icefire122. Shiv is on vacation for the next few days, so send him lots of tweets and reminders to send patches out. And in this week's community questions... What's your take on the loan for CIG? Is it a non-issue or is it a worrying sign? Or have you just come to expect this from CIG for better or worse? Are you keeping up with a rapid pace of discovery? Or is the paradigm shifting too much too fast? Drop us an email, a tweet, or comment on our show post, which you can find on our website and over on our Facebook. So how is the show? Would you pay the ULA's asking price, or are you glad that Patreon is only $1.25? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave us a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? You can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback's an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 174 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 175 on July 11th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at GuardFrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you should come join us at 10 p.m. Central as we record Guard Frequency live over on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv forward slash guardfreak. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space in podcast ever? Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25 a week, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, some Guard Frequency goodies, and an invitation to our private Elite Dangerous flight group. We want to thank all of our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week and hope you'll consider making a regular contribution, because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. You can find us all over at discord.guardfrequency.com. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We want to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chillery Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Trollton Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pintad, and of course, our audio engineer, Mikey. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and a special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Red Cena heard something you might find interesting to others listening on the spectrum? No, no, Sorry, no. 
Read, seen, or heard something you might find interesting to others listening on the spectrum? So, nope, 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 nope. Lennon's giving us strict instructions, Jeff. Strict well, instructions. he's not here to instruct, so... Yeah, but we are. All three of us are looking at you and going... Yeah, mm. okay. Uh, you can fire me at any time. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, but you'll still keep showing up. You know you know, you, you know it. Even if we fired you, you'd be like, it's Friday night, 10 o'clock, where the hell are you guys? <laughs> My Ortland... Uh, uh, you didn't say class. Oh, that's right. I didn't say class. Do I need to say class? I need to say class. Yes, you need to say it, class. It does make a little bit more sense if you do. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, oh. I, I read, I read over class. He doesn't like it when I turn the nope, tables you're right. on him. No, oh, you're right. Boy. You're right. You're right. Good call, you're Jeff. Right. Don't let him get away with nothing, man. That's right. I'm not. Jonathan Hurley wrote in. Wrote in? Yeah. Wrote in. Attached our links to the program and a YouTube of how to get it up in E colon D, and we will provide those links in our show notes. Are you sure you don't want to reread that last part about getting it up in E colon D? <laughs> there's way too much. Yeah, you did say set up, and there's just way too much there. Sorry. I, I, I'm having a really difficult time of not making all the double entendres. Well, um, we didn't write it, so. No, he skipped setup. Oh, he did? Setup. Yeah. Oh, I see. How to get it up, and that changes things just a little bit. Yeah. Man, are we tired of being right.